0: Right, thanks, everybody, and thanks again for that, that music, the singing that led us together into God's presence. just going to read a few verses from the book of Ephesians. We've moved a wee bit further on. That's because um, some of the other verses I actually preached on them. Kind of jumped out of sync, if you like, and preached them at an earlier time. So that brings us on to this passage tonight. Uh, nice, easy passage. Uh, it's from verse 21. Submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. Wives, submit to your husbands as to the Lord, for the husband is the head of the wife, as Christ is the head of the church, his body of which he is the saviour. Now as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit to their husbands in everything. Let's just come and pray. Father, we just want to thank you for your word. We want to thank you for just the challenge it brings to us for the things that we read at times that challenge our own thinking and presuppositions and Lord we pray you'll help us to have open hearts and open minds that you'll just help us to set ourselves free from our past and from our culture and Lord seek to hear what your word written so many years ago can say into our situation today. Father we pray by your spirit bring your word with power into each of our hearts and lives in Jesus name. Amen. Let me just begin with a story. I've probably shared it with a number of you before, but I never let a little thing like that stop me. Anyway, it's the story of a a young man just about to get married who had a great admiration for an older couple in his church. So one day he said to them, you know, what's the secret of your marriage? You've been married over 50 years, and that's close to a miracle in today's world. That's easy, said the elderly man. When we first got married, my wife made a suggestion that we both committed to and that's been the secret of our long and happy marriage. So what was it you committed to then? asked the young man. Well, that as we journeyed through life together, she would be in charge of the little things, she would make the little decisions, but that when it came to the big decisions, that as the man of the house... That would be my area. Well, said the young man, how's that gone? Fantastic, said the old guy. Over 50 years and not one big decision yet. (laughs) (laughs) Ah, If only it weren't true. But anyway, that's a, a funny story. But It's funny in more ways than one because it's also funny in the sense that You kind of feel there's something right in principle in there in what's said. And yet in practice, there's something wrong there. Something very wrong. But that's not the only thing that seems wrong, is it? Now the actual reading that that we shared earlier, that sounds wrong. It jars on the ears of so many in our modern society. And that's why I've called this sermon tonight, Taxi for Wilson. I've called it that because, you know, there are situations, there are people that you could speak this out in the UK today where if I were to read these verses, never mind preach on them, but I would need to get a taxi out of the place and probably a bodyguard to get me to that taxi. That's why Jonathan's sitting right there in the front line. <laughs> Just listen to the verses again. Submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. Wives submit to your husbands as to the Lord For the husband is the head of the wife As Christ is the head of the church His body of which he is the saviour Now as the church submits to Christ So also wives should submit to their husbands in everything Now that does jar a bit doesn't it It sounds alien to our modern ears So what is Paul saying here And is it relevant is it relevant to our lives today, to life in 21st century Britain? Well, let's just try and grapple with, just unpack what Paul's saying and then let's seek to make our decision. So let's start then with the context. Just what is the context into which what Paul says here fits? Well, it's one where in the, the ancient world that the view held generally of women was appallingly low. In Jewish society, a woman was not seen as a person, but as a thing. Women had no legal rights whatsoever and were seen as the possession of the senior male within the family. And then in the Greek and Roman world, generally, things were actually even worse. And Charles Seltman sums it up like this. A girl was completely under her father's, a wife completely under her husband's power. She was his chattel. Her life was one of legal incapacity, which amounted to enslavement. And perhaps the clearest and most horrific example that I could find of how women were actually viewed in Roman society lies in the fact that regarding their status, the bracket that they were placed in before the law, before the law, sorry, was imbecilitis. Women then were to be regarded, to be counted as imbeciles, as incapable of any kind of depth of thought or reasoning. Now this was the the general view of women at this time. There were movements around even then that were seeking to change this and there were areas, there were specific cities within that vast Roman empire where a more enlightened view of the status of women prevailed. But this was the general view. This was the cultural context into which Paul and the other New Testament writers wrote. And so they, they put together then a body of teaching that affected, that challenged this and other issues related to what it means to be a Christian couple, a Christian family, a Christian household. They're probably the first person to draw this teaching together and draw our attention to it was was Martin Luther. And he called it the, the house taflin, Basically, the house tables. The, the tables, if you like, of household duties. And, and what we're talking about here is the teaching found and here in Ephesians 5, 2 to 6, 9. Colossians 3, 8 to 4, 1. Um, Titus 2, 1 to 10. And Second Peter, uh, no, 1 Peter 2, 18 to 3, 7. And it's interesting that... Teaching that covers the, the same areas is also actually found in Jewish writing and in Roman and Greek writing. However, the basis of this teaching, founded on that low view of anything other than a free adult male, and so because of this, its character and motivation makes this teaching very different from what we find in the New Testament. And so one writer that I came across as I read around this subject, he says, whereas in Hellenism, that is Greek culture, the model was political, the Christian model is Christ himself. And he also is the motivating force. For example, while a Hellenistic Greek writer would propose that if slaves were treated well, that they would be more productive, Paul states that slaves should not be mistreated because the Lord is master of both parties and both are answerable to him. Ephesians 6.9 And then another writer here, Russ Dudry, he adds to this, that the purpose of these household codes is not to repress the socially downtrodden, but to transform spiritually all who are in Christ. Husbands, Fathers and masters included. And of course we could add to that wives. But that reference to the Holy Spirit though is important. Because you see what here is asked of wives and later asked of husbands and of others. All relates back to, all is dependent on that famous key phrase of Paul's in verse 18 of chapter 5. The filling of the Spirit. His call to God's people to be filled with the Spirit. You see, living like this that he outlines here is dependent on us seeking the life of the Holy Spirit. Dependent on us yielding our lives to the Spirit. Being submissive and obedient to the Holy Spirit. In Christ, we do have the power and the resources to live like this. But again, we do have to choose this. And if we don't make this our choice, perhaps because we're not aware that there's even a choice to be made, then it is natural, it is inevitable, that we will fall back to living in the flesh and in all probability, back into adopting the prevailing values of the culture around us. Whether that be, The male-dominated tyranny that was there in the first century or the unthinking, politically correct, anything-goes liberalism of 21st-century Scotland. And, you know, be clear here. Some of the comments that Paul makes here about the way within a household people should relate to one another, these verses and the verses following, would be, they would be, though in a very different way Equally challenging to first century people then as they are to 21st century years now. I mean, talking about mutual submission, in verse 21. That husbands are to love their wives as they love themselves, verse 28. That fathers have to take care, not to exasperate their children, verse 4 of the next chapter. In the first century, that would have seemed equally as shocking and unthinkable as wives submit to your husbands as to many in our society today. So that's the context then. That's at least something of the the background to these verses. Let's look in a little bit more detail at what these verses themselves actually say. Let's just try and dig out what Paul's saying here. And we'll begin here with what this is not. What this is not. And what this is certainly not about is inferiority. that women are in some way inferior to men. For the New Testament is very clear and very strong regarding the fundamental equality and value and worth of both men and women. One of Paul's most famous verses, Galatians 3:28 makes that abundantly clear. There is neither Jew nor Greek, slave nor free, male nor female. For you are all one in Christ Jesus. And verse 21 here is that, that same sense of that fundamental equality of all human beings as its underlying assumption. Submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. But you might want to ask the question here, How can Paul say that we should all submit to one another as equals and then in the very next verse say, wives, submit to your husbands as to the Lord. Well, first, I would say, because of course there is a difference between men and women in general and the particular relationship between a husband and a wife. For Paul doesn't say across the board, he doesn't ask that women should submit to men within the church community. What Paul asks is that a wife submit to her husband within a marriage relationship. But why this distinction? Why this? Well, Martin Luther, again, has got important things to say here. In the distinction that he draws between the person and their roles, the person and their roles. This is what he says. The man who is called Hans or Martin is a man quite different from the one who is called Elector or Doctor or Preacher. The one is that in which we are created and born, according to which we are all alike. We're all equal. Man or woman or child, young or old. But once we are born, God adorns and dresses you up as another person. He makes you a child and me a father, one a master, and another a servant, one a prince, and the other a citizen. But I hope you can you can grasp that, that distinction between who we are. As people, and we are all fundamentally equal in the eyes of God. And yet, as people, we all fulfil various different roles in life. And many of these roles do require an element of submission, a willingness, basically, in certain areas, to let others take the lead. But, you know, I think it's also important in clarifying here what this is not. Paul's call to a wife to be submissive to her husband. I think it's important to to clarify that this is not, certainly not, what far too often it's led to. That is a man exercising abusive power over his wife and children. Over centuries, I want to say this has happened too often in the church. Men have used verses like these as their justification and it's not been good and it's not been a, a good witness and example to wider society. For I, I would ask you to notice that nowhere in these verses does Paul focus on the authority of a husband or a man. He asks wives to submit to their husband but he doesn't call upon men even lovingly to exercise authority over their wives. No, he calls on husbands, pure and simply, to love their wives just as Christ loved the church. That is, to love their wives with the same kind of sacrificial, self-giving love as Jesus Christ. And E.G. Young and Sinclair Ferguson in slightly different ways make the point that all of this is the result of sin. That is the abuse of authority by men and the strident resistance to any kind to any thought of male authority in any area by others. All of this is the result of sin. And the, bo- the verse that they both use to, to state their position is, a, is Galatian, sorry, is a Genesis 3:16. Genesis 3:16, where, where God there in that verse is setting out some of the repercussions of man's falling to sin in regard. To the marriage relationship and there they're told he's told your desire will be for your husband and he will rule over you now you see the word that's translated there for your desire will be for your husband can equally be translated against your desire will be against your husband and the language that's used here is also used in Genesis 4-7 of sin, sin is crouching at your door. It desires to have you. That is to control you. But you must master it. But you see, if you put all that together, what that's saying is that when a wife constantly rejects any thought of her husband having a leadership role, when they instead, the wife, is always wanting to be in charge, then that is rooted in sin. And what it so often leads to is marriage as a zone. But also, when a husband or a father is determined to exercise what they see as their authority at all times, when they behave as a bully, rather than they, as they should, as a loving, selfless, caring Protector. Why Paul here even dares to parallel a husband's relationship with his wife, with Christ's relationship to the church, a saviour, the ultimate, selfless, loving protector. When this happens though, when a man acts as a bully, this is not God's will. This is not God's pattern for marriage. And not actually is it God's will that bullying men should dominate in government or business or anywhere else. But when this happens, it's all about sin. It's rooted in sin. Let us be clear, though, about something I think that's important. When we're talking about leadership within the family and roles within the family, and particularly in relation to marriage, I want to say to you, although I believe the Bible gives very limited grounds for divorce, Yet if a woman was being constantly bullied and abused within a marriage, then I would have no hesitation in recommending separation, either for a period, but if there was no resolution, even long term. In a previous church I ministered in, in my early years in ministry, I knew of a woman there who was being badly abused, a lovely person, who was regularly being humiliated and physically abused by a Christian, at least he said he was, Husband, who I believe actually had serious underlying mental issues. Now this woman, she kept on going on, but she was exhausted. She was broken by this. Broken. And a couple in the church at that time counseled her. You must stay in this marriage no matter what. You must submit to your husband no matter what. No matter how brutally he beats you or even tortures you. I want to tell you. I disagreed with that then and I told her that and I told them that and I disagree with it now when a woman is abused like that to the point of a mental breakdown when her life is even in danger and when a man has broken his part in the covenant of marriage in that kind of fundamental way then I would have no hesitation in telling that woman or if it was a man in a similar kind of situation in telling them to get out of there she did she did and was separated from her husband for a number of years until he divorced her that was the best of it and married some other poor and sus- suspect soul so when the the bible talks about wives submitting when it talks about there being an element of male leadership within marriage you know there are Limits to this. Like I've just outlined. And certainly no matter who it is. That tries to exercise authority over us. At whatever part of life. Whether it be husband or wife. Or police chief, prime minister. Whoever it be. No Christian should ever feel. Or should ever be willing. To submit to an authority. That tells them to do what God has forbidden. Or not to do what God has commanded. God's authority overrules all others, as Peter said when he was put on the spot in Acts 5 29, we must obey God rather than men. Okay, so that's a an overview of what Paul's teaching here is not. It's not teaching that women are in any way inferior to men. Because fundamentally, as people, we are equal. Rather, Paul is pointing to here are the different roles that we're called to fulfill within the family. And this is not a license for men to be abusive or even for women to be rebellious. That is the result of sin. Rather, living our relationships out in the way Paul sets out here, I believe, is God's will for his people. But in order to live like this together, as God intends we need to be together wives and husbands filled with the spirit of God we need to yield to the spirit and draw on the power and resources of the spirit if we're going to live like this, so let's look finally at what this is at what Paul actually is saying here get a sense of that at what this means, what it looks like, what it should lead to so let's focus in first of all And what's at the heart of things here in verse 23. Verse 23 it says, For the husband is the head of the wife, as Christ is the head of the church, his body of which he is the saviour. Now what we're talking about here is something that theologians refer to as headship. With this being something that, that I would maintain, I want to be clear, something that is rooted in creation rather than being something... It is cultural. Because Paul elsewhere states this, this principle of headship and he makes it clear that this emerges out of creation. It's rooted there as men and women. First Corinthians 11, 1 Timothy chapter 2. And you see, this is important. That distinction is important. Because cultural things pass away cultural things are just ways of working things out, emphasising a principle perhaps, illustrating it in a way that fit a particular time and a particular culture like for instance the requirement for a woman to cover her head in 1 Corinthians eleven ten. but principles though principles are rooted in God's nature, his being and activity and they do not pass principles are eternal and headship Male headship that is established in God's creation of men and women falls, I believe, into that category. <laughs> what does headship itself mean? What does the Bible mean when it talks of Christ as the head of the church, as the husband of the, as the head of the woman? Well, there's been a fair bit of argument among the scholars in recent years about whether, you know, it means source or ruler or authority, which is how it's generally been understood, or whether more recently, increasingly at a time when it's, this is growing increasingly popular, I, I should have said, by the way, the first bit there is ruler or authority. That's the first side. Right? That's, that's one. Or whether this means source. Okay? That is the source of life. Like the head of a river is the source of life. That, that second one, the source one, it is a possible interpretation at times in the New Testament. But I agree with a point that's made by Hona, that that context always has to be the deciding factor in how we understand and interpret this word. And consistently, if you read it throughout Ephesians, the word head is used. Whenever it's used, it's in a context that demands an interpretation carrying the sense of authority. So you see, it would seem then that within the marriage relationship, that God's will, the pattern that God established in principle, in creation, is for some kind of male leadership. And that women be willing to recognise that leadership rather than fight against that leadership, to submit to it in that marriage <laughs> context. But you know, I want to ask another question here. I want to go beyond... God said it, and so we have to do it. And I want to ask the question, why? Why, if God created us fundamentally spiritually equal as men and women, why then does he give these different roles within marriage that give leadership to the husband and require recognition of that leadership by the wife? The reason for this, I believe, must be set in the wider context of the Bible and what we know about God and the nature, must be that God, who is a God of order, that he set up these roles and these various different roles within the family and wider society, he did that in order that there might be order within our marriage and our families in our communities. He did this in order to save us from constant arguing, from bickering, from chaos and anarchy. But not only is headship a creational principle rather than a a cultural practice, in my opinion, it is also, as well as this, totally Christ-centred. It's totally Christ-centred in this sense. Listen again to verse 22. Husbands, husbands. Sorry, it would be good if it was that way. But wives submit to your husbands as to the Lord. Now, I don't believe that Paul's saying here that husbands should be given some kind of godlike status. So set your mind at rest as if. No. What he's saying here is that submission within marriage should be and will only properly operate when it's an expression of, when it flows from a prior submission to the Lord Jesus Christ. You see, if we are truly submitted to Christ, if he truly is Lord of our lives, then expressing a degree of submission in our human relationships won't then be an onerous task. Won't be something that we fight against or, or force ourselves to, go, to do on a bit by bit basis through gritted teeth. Rather, it will be an expression of our love for the Lord, an expression of His love in our lives. And so then, it will flow, it will flow from us, not naturally, but supernaturally, from deep within our hearts. Also, this submission to headship is spirit-enabled. Now, I've already said that all this relates back to Paul's call to Christians to be filled with the spirit. Let me just add a little bit here to that. That the tense in which Paul phrases these words in verse 22, wives, submit to your husbands as to the Lord, the tense that he uses suggests the act of a free Agent. It suggests something, not that's forced on someone, or even that someone grudgingly agrees to do, but rather that this is an act, that this is an attitude that is freely chosen. But then, if you put all this together, we've we've already looked at, That this is something born of the spirit, something enabled of the spirit, that this is a heart attitude flowing from the work of the spirit within us. That this isn't about subservience or subordination or subjection, that this isn't something that's forced on someone, action by action, but rather that flows naturally from a heart that's been transformed by the spirit of God, that's Born out of a desire to be obedient to God and follow His blueprint for life. And where God's ideal is that this is supposed to be lived out in a relationship where a husband is not domineering or abusive, but rather where the husband seeks to love and care for sacrificially, to nurture and protect his wife as Christ does, His church. Put all that together. And you see how different this is from what this world understands as submission. You see, what Paul's talking about here, this is about marriage lived out in the spirit. This is about marriage where a husband seeks to love, care, and protect, where a wife then has a heart willingness to submit. And where because of that, marriage won't be a power struggle, won't be a matter of one seeking to inflict their power on the other, but rather will be a matter of two people coming together, combining their strengths and weaknesses and finding God's way together as partners. Listen, in these verses, the relationship between husband and wife is is parallel here, isn't it? With the relationship between Christ and the church. Well, think about this. Why did Christ bring the church into being? He did it to do something new in the church, to do something transformational, to do something that would make this world sit up and take notice, something different to anything this world has ever known or can ever aspire to. God did that. And he wants to do the same as he did in the church. He wants to do the same in our marriages. He wants us to be different. He wants them to be new. He wants them to be transformed. He wants them to contrast with anything this world understands. These verses that we've looked at tonight express in part, I believe, God's ideal for marriage. God's ideal for the relationship between our husband and wife. God's best, his very best, for a husband and wife. And this is a spiritual ideal, it is. And so sin and the flesh and all the values of this world fight against this this ideal. It's not easy, it's not natural, but you know, it is God's will for his people. And as we yield ourselves to the Spirit of God, it is achievable. We can live like this. And we can continue to live like this. But we can only live like this. We can only have marriages like this if we first seek God and yield ourselves to him. And you know, it's great if we can do it as a partnership. It's great if both of us come together and do that. But no matter what, as individuals, we have got a responsibility, no matter the other, to be the husband or to be the wife that we believe that God has called us to be. Let's pray together. Father, we want to thank you that you brought your church into being, to be a totally revolutionary community. And we believe that it's exactly the same with marriage. And it's not about just moving the furniture around. It's not about kind of little things. It's not about giving way in itself, but it's about hearts being transformed. It's about minds being transformed. It's about the power of your Holy Spirit setting us free and enabling us to be not just different people, but different couples, different families, a different community. Lord, we pray, speak to our hearts and encourage us with the truth that in Christ we are new creations and you're able to do new things, not just in us individually, but in us as your people. Work in our hearts, we pray, in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.